Today on Ag News Daily. Wheat market really gets sensitive to pricing when we get 30% stocks usage. You get to 25% stocks usage. That's where you get you know, some of the highs we've seen over the past decade. To be at 20% is very concerning. The thing is with wheat, when wheat gets tight, you know, you can't pull back. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Ag News Daily episode. I am Delaney Howell, very tired Delaney Howell, joined today by Cassidy Zirkel. Cassidy, how are you this this afternoon? Well, good afternoon to you too, Delaney. I am great and happy to have you back on the podcast and back to work to help me with all my little issues throughout the day. Yes, Uh, not super excited to be back. I feel like I've got a mountain of emails and work to climb back through, but yes, happy to be back on the podcast. Tanner and I did have fun while you were gone, but it's always great to have the girl power team back. You guys did a pretty good job though. I listened to Thursday's episode, missed Fridays, but, uh, I thought you guys did a, a good job. Hopefully our listeners appreciated that as well. Well, I tell you what, Cassidy, we got some fresh news over the weekend of escalations between Russia and Ukraine, you know, on the heels of the announcement that Russia was going to allow Ukrainian exports from the Black Sea ports, and also following the news that the U.S. last week announced $700 million in aid to Ukraine, we saw fresh attacks over the weekend on some key areas, including Kiev, with a series of cruise missiles while also striking a port facility at Mykolaiv. I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but Mykolaiv, Mykolaiv, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But anyways, this strike reportedly resulted in two port storage facilities burning down and lots of fire, uh, which allegedly destroyed a, a good chunk of sunflower meal that was contained in this facility in particular. And it also gave folks a lot of question marks as to the credibility of Russia's claims that they were going to allow ports out of the facility. But nonetheless, sources say that peace talks do continue, although I don't know how you have peace talks after those fresh attacks happen, Cassidy. Exactly. And that sounds like exactly what you predicted, Delaney, when we reported on Russia agreeing to allow exports from Ukraine you said it yourself that they couldn't be trusted with those types of claims and that something was bound to come from that. Yes, and it certainly uh, impacted the wheat market in particular today, but we'll get that get to that here in just a moment. Cassidy, what news have you been watching today? Well, this morning I read that Vilsack actually visited your neck of the woods over the weekend to announce uh, addition of $3,200 million to fund 2022 wood innovations and wood grants. This is supposed to be used to promote the use of wood products, strengthen emerging wood products, and support forest health. I had not seen that news. I, Iowa is not a large wood-producing state, so that is certainly interesting to say the least. Yes, I would actually predict that he would come to my area for more of that since we do have a lot of logging around here. But nevertheless, he did visit Des Moines to make that announcement. And as Tanner says, it always seems to be a bit of pomp and circumstance and less sense put into those trips for announcements. No doubt. Yes, that does typically happen when he uh, makes those appearances or if anyone, uh, any dignitary makes appearances, there is lots of pomp and circumstance. I've been to many events where that happens, but there was probably some pomp and circumstance at last week's RFS announcement on Friday 
we finally saw the EPA release their plans for the 2022 season on in regards to the renewable fuels standard. They delivered their long-awaited announcement along with a couple of other rulings, and we'll get to those here in a moment. But as far as the actual announcement goes, they shared a number that was at a 20.63 billion gallons of biofuels down just slightly from the originally proposed number. However, this was considered a big win for U.S. ethanol because the EPA set the corn ethanol mandate at its highest level ever at 15.25 billion gallons for this year, notably mentioning that ethanol continues to be cheaper at the gas pump for consumers this year, and they wanted to ensure that folks knew and could continue to be able to use that. They also moved to officially deny all 69 of those small refinery exemption waivers that I believe we talked about this past December and noted that refineries were showing no disproportionate economic hardship. So that news came in on the ethanol front, and we got this piece of news on the gas front. But gas prices have pushed higher to another record price and are on track to hit $5 here in the very near future. The new highest all-time record is now $4.67 a gallon, which is a record high here in the United States. But several sports, several states are reporting a $5 per gallon or higher gas price, states like California and Illinois. And so a lot of folks are suggesting we're going to see $5 gas prices on average nationwide here very shortly, which could push the summer driving season a little bit lower this year compared to normal if folks just simply don't have a little extra jingle in their pocket to get them to where they are going. Yes, Delaney, I totally agree that that will definitely decrease my driving this summer because in my neck of the woods, it's about 440 and climbing. And of course, as you know, with my move to Seattle in the fall, it will be much higher. Yes, it certainly will be. That's unfortunate news, Cassidy. Well, a more positive announcement that I read about this morning is that the U.S. and Japan have agreed to increase the beef safeguard trigger level under the U.S.-Japan trade agreement. The beef industry has showed their gratitude. Ambassador Tai's work to reduce the trade barriers. I think this is going to really help uh, the beef industry because Japan is our second largest export from America. They absolutely are. And speaking of exports, we've gotten some final numbers for the phase one trade agreement and lots of question marks about what happens now with phase two since we are through phase one. But in 2021, China purchased a record $35.9 billion in agricultural products from the United States, which did fall short of phase one trade agreements. However, it did fall short of the phase one trade agreement threshold. It was roughly $7 billion higher or 25% increase from 2020 and up pretty substantially from the previous record exports we sent to China back in 2013. We exported a $29 billion number. So all in all, we did see quite a few commodities see large increases. Most notably, though, corn is what took the candle, took the cake here with a very substantial increase in the amount of corn that China purchased in 2021. More than half of the total $7 billion increase 
notably came from those recent corn purchases. And in total, China purchased $5.1 billion of U.S. corn, up from $1.2 billion in 2020 and just $55 million in 2019. So certainly a little bit of a surprise there to see that most notable jump in corn export increases. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, we are having lots of foreign news on the show today because my next story talks about Mexico, which I've seen lots of talk about this on Twitter, so I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware of it, that John Deere is moving their cab production from Iowa to Mexico. However, this doesn't mean that they're closing their plant in Waterloo. They are planning to replace cab production with new products in Iowa. Well, I had not seen that piece of news, so I'm glad that you were on top of it, Cassidy. Yes, ma'am. And coming back domestically, I wanted to let our listeners know that each year the Wallace's Farmer gives the prestigious award of Master Farmer. And this is a nominated award. So this year's nominations have been opened and they will close October 1st. And our listeners can read up more about the requirements and how to nominate someone or themselves on farmprogress.com. Fantastic. Well, I have just one final piece of news here. Not necessarily ending on a positive note, but we are ending on a high note. And that is a high in farmland values with no price top in sight. According to quite a few folks with Farmers National Company, they've they've uh, surveyed quite a few different land purchasers and surveyed various sales here over the past couple of months. And they said that they saw increased sale activity in the land market during the last quarter of 2021, which continued into the first quarter here of 2022. They said not only was more land sold in the past six months than in any similar period in the past four years, but prices all across the board went up. They said the number of auctions have increased 65% over last year, and the number of acres sold via auction was up 106%, while the dollar value of auction sales was up 130% during the same time. Now, as you look at Iowa in particular, the average Iowa acreage land value was up 30% compared to 2020. And they say they certainly don't see any decline in prices coming anytime soon. It's interesting, this article was on AgWeb, so I'd encourage you to check it out and see, but all across the Midwest into Texas, all states in kind of the Corn Belt and Plains region had double-digit moves in 2022 compared to 2021. So certainly aren't seeing land prices slow down anytime. Yes, Delaney, I had seen lots of reportings about that as well, and also saying that not only is cropland going up, but also pasture land. So that keeps the southern United States in that category as well. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I'm all out of news for today other than markets. What about you, Cassidy? Yes, ma'am. Let's jump into markets. Well, we certainly had a positive market Monday here this morning as we're trading on some of those Russia-Ukraine attacks, as well as, of course, weather. July corn today up 15.5 cents to close at 7.42.5. The D's up 12.5 cents, closing just above $7 at 7.02.5. Soybeans playing follow the leader today added a penny and a half in the July contract at 16.99. November added 6.5 pennies to close at 15.33.5. 
In the wheat pits today, big moves to the upside, not limit up moves, but pretty darn close with the July contract adding 53 cents to close at 1093. September Chicago wheat up 52 and three quarter cents to close at 1104 and a half. And in livestock today, we saw red across the screen as August live cattle shed 95 cents to close at 132.90. The October settling at a buck 39.10, down 60 cents on the day. August feeder cattle followed that trend down a dollar 90 today to close at a buck 71.97. The September shedding a dollar 75 today to close at 174.55. And lean hawks down a dollar 77 and a half cents in the July contract to close at 108.97 and a half. The August down a dollar 35 to close at 106.70. Cassidy, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation today with Craig Turner. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Craig Turner, broker at StoneX. Craig, it's been a little while since we had you on the podcast, but I have always been a longtime subscriber of the Turner Take Ag Marketing Newsletter. So I was reading through it this morning. You've got a lot of good things to share with us today. So certainly appreciate you coming on and joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. It's been uh, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, always good to be back. So yeah, there is a lot going on in the market here. Um, and we've had some big moves even just today. Yeah. I, you know, probably you know the wheat market's the one that's been on the uh, the leader lately. And um, you know, you know, last week we sold off. And honestly, the last couple of weeks we sold off. One just because we were overbought, but two, you know, the there was all this talk about a grain corridor through the Black Sea, and then over the weekend, you know, fighting escalated in uh, in Ukraine, and you know, now the the market seems to be pivoting here and. Uh, adding premium back into the market where, you know, maybe we don't get those exports coming out of the Black Sea that they're hoping for. Yeah. And that you mentioned that this morning in your newsletter that you felt that in your gut, if that was likely not going to happen, that we do see those exports come out of the Black Sea region. Do you think that was just a little bit of posture from Russia? So I think, I, I do think we will see exports eventually get out of Ukraine. I just don't think it's going to be the Black Sea or what they're talking about. Like most likely it goes into Europe and then Europe can export more, or maybe it comes into um, in Romania and through the ports there. Uh, the thing is though, it's going to, it's not going to be as much because, you know, maybe at max it can get um, maybe one and a half million metric tons, you know, a month, which, you know, is significantly le- less than what they're used to doing, you know, to get it through the Black Sea, You've got to have either, you know, Turkey or Russia kind of be the monitors of, you know, it it getting out of there. It's kind of a safe haven for these ships. Or it's got to be someone on the other side, like the United States, United Kingdom, France. I don't think either of those countries are going to kind of kind of allow that. And then also the sanctions have to be lifted on Russia. And the problem is, is NATO doesn't want to get in direct conflict with Russia. So really their best option is sanctions. So if they lift sanctions, you know, they're practically just surrendering, you know, in, in their eyes. So it's a very difficult situation. Also, too, I mean, it's not Russia who mined all those ports. It was Ukraine to stop Russia from invading with their ships. So, you know, you know, if you remove those mines, who's going to guarantee safety that they're not going to, you know, then Ukraine's not going to be invaded on the on their southern shores of those cities so it's just it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of obstacles i mean it's hard enough to get a real estate deal done these days and now we're talking about demining you know the black sea so i, I just it's very hard to 
hard to see go down. And then when you turn your attention here to the U.S. market, Craig, obviously we've seen a lot of planting delays, both on the corn and soybean, corn especially side of things, but also on the spring wheat side of things. What do you see acreage doing this year? So we've had a lot of delays and we were hoping for actually an expansion of spring wheat acres. Unfortunately, that is uh, looks like that is not going to happen, particularly with North Dakota. Uh, there will be either acres that go into prevent plant or rolled into corn. The pre, you know, the insurance prices are going to be fairly high. Um, so it may, it may be in, you know, farmers I've worked with over the years really do like to plant a crop, but between the risk and how late it is and, you know, the insurance prices that they're looking at here may make sense to just take the, uh, the summer off. So if that's the case, we're thinking lower than 10 million, maybe a little bit. We'll see if it's 9.5, 9.6, 9.8, but under 10 million acres of spring wheat in the United States. When you look at the balance sheets then, and even if you just assume a normal uh, yield for spring wheat, um, you know, we're going to be at a carryout of around 100 million bushels, give or take, maybe a little bit more. But that's 20% stock to usage. Uh, that means you know, we should be elevated. And if you take a look at, you know, wheat market, Wheat market really gets sensitive to pricing when we get 30% stock to usage. You get to 25% stock to usage. That's where you hit, you know, some of the highs we've seen over the past decade. To be at 20% is very concerning. The thing is with wheat, when wheat gets tight, you know, you can't pull back on feed use or energy use because we use 85% of the wheat in this country for food. It's not like corn and soybeans where if you really need the price ration, you just don't have to feed as much or you don't have to commit as much to biofuels. And on the wheat side, that's really not the case. It's food or nothing. And you can't really downshift from wheat and rice in terms of you know, a, a global food source, right? That's really the, your most basic value for calories around the world. So it's just, it's concerning and it keeps prices elevated. And, you know, we just got to go back to 2019, 20, that marketing year and the carry out ending stocks was 50%. That's a huge number. And that's why wheat was four, five, $6. And only a course of like two or three marketing years, we've now gone from just extreme burdensome supplies to very tight supplies that, you know, is, uh, that's concerning because if you get one more drought somewhere around the world we've, where we can't get wheat out of the Black Sea this fall with new crop, um, there can be some humanitarian issues around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something we continue to talk about on the podcast day to day here. But Craig, I also want to talk here about new crop Corn, we've pulled back pretty substantially since uh, beginning of May, where we saw some higher contract highs there, pulled back since then. But as you mentioned in your newsletter this morning, there's a lot of weather concerns that could still happen here this growing season. How much weather premium is built into the market right now? Yeah, so right now we're talking about, you know, the USDA started with a 177 yield. Um, We'll see a little bit later the good to excellent ratings on uh on corn we're expecting it to start off high you know somewhere in the mid 70s for good to excellent and we're gonna this even though this corn got planted late you know it's gonna come up looking good because we had so much moisture you know the moisture is what made it late but it's gonna have these crop conditions pretty good when they come out the thing is you know if it is hotter and drier and it is looking hotter and drier at the moment in some of these forecasts um we start getting if we start getting into a low like 170s um, ending stocks all of a sudden start to turn lower to maybe a sub billion, maybe like 900 million or a billion. Um, 
stock to usage gets much tighter at seven or eight percent. Um, and at that case, that's when you can start hitting basically the, the highs from 2012 again. Um, so to, when we see corn at seven dollars, you know, it probably is pricing in around a 175 to 177 yield. If, if the mark, if the growing season actually is very good and we get to 180, which is arguable, which is arguable just because we planted so late, you know, to expect a record yield at such late planting, not saying it can't happen, but that's, uh, that's probably unrealistic. So if we're at $7 and we're still talking about a mid 170 to high 170 yield, it also bears to ask the question is like, are, you know, before, you know, inflation and uh, the war in Ukraine, you know, we would have said lows, you know, for corn, we're in the threes and fours, you know, we're in the threes. But now it's, you know, if, if we went back to adequate stocks, you know, would we be in the fours or, or fives just from the inflation that's been going on since then? So when, when someone asks, you know, what does, you know, what does $7 mean in terms of where we think, you know, the weather premium is, you know, in years past, it would have been overpriced. Corn would have been overpriced in this, in this environment, but now we don't know where the floor is, right? I don't think after experiencing all the inflation over the past year, we're going back to, you know, harvest lows of $3.30. So what does $7 mean right now for new crop? Because it's different than what it meant five or 10 years ago. Um, so there's definitely a bit of premium, but it's a, man, to, to really put a, you know, to really put a finger on, I think it's pretty difficult, but we do see, you know, basically a six to $8 range between now and harvest, just depending on how this crop comes out. And I think the big question mark that a lot of us still have is what we're going to see for some abandoned acres, some prevent plant acres this year. What do you expect to see on this afternoon's crop progress report? And what do you think we see as a final corn acreage number? Yeah, um, that's an interesting one because over the years, that, you know, when I started in this business, yield was always the big deal because it, it could change more than acreage. But, you know, the seed technology and the farming practices have gotten so good that the acres, you know, become the bigger question each year, you know, as we're kind of debating on the trade desk and within the firm in general. So I think that we'll probably have 88 to 89 million acres. It's a great question about the abandonment. I think that whatever it ends up is going to be a much smaller number than what the, the difference in the Black Sea is. So I, I will see how much the market pays attention to it. But when you start to add and subtract bushels from acreage and corn, it's a relatively a, a small impact on the ending stocks for the United States, but also the global exporters compared to Ukraine. So it'll come out today, um, you know, with the good to excellent ratings, it'll be pretty good. I think the market and the money flow here is really going to be dictated by what the major exporters will have in terms of ending stocks and, you know, it you know this Ukraine is you know probably the second most important um, country now for getting that stuff out of the you know into the export market. So um, I still always kind of defer to that as it's going to be driving the markets. Another thing that could drive the markets later this week is the June WASD report. What are you guys expecting to see on this Friday's report? Is it going to be a market mover? No, it it really shouldn't be. It it should be. Typically, it's within expectations. It's still too early to change anything for soybeans and, you know, in terms of a production side for the United States. And even in corn, 
Uh, after the USDA moved down the yields to 177, I guess they, if they were going to throw some kind of curveball, they could adjust yields again. This is, you, you know, usually what you see in the Maywazi is they always use that trend line yield from the ag form. They didn't do that this year. So I guess there's a case to be made that they can be more dynamic than people give them credit for. Uh, we have been hearing reports that the South American production, the as the results come in, are a little bit better than expected. But if that's reflected in CONAB, you're not going to hear about it until the following uh, WASD. What's, I think, the big factor heading into that report would be what the USDA thinks about Ukraine and how much grain they can get out of the country. Because right now, you can make the argument the USDA is too optimistic about grain getting out of the Black Sea by anywhere between 10 to 15 million metric tons of, let's say, corn, wheat, and sunflower oil combined. So if I were, if there's going to be any big surprise, I would be the USDA coming a little bit, lowering down those expectations, increasing the exports. And, you know, if that were the case, it would be a bullish surprise. But I think that's, uh, otherwise, it, it's usually quiet uh, this June one. Okay, before I let you go, your quick thoughts here on the soybean market. Yeah, so soybeans have been a follower. Um, you know, when you take a look at the global balance sheets, the, the soybean market and also canola you know, up in Canada gets solved faster in, than corn and wheat do. You know, when you take a look at acreage, uh, you know, we can't add any more acres here in the United States or really in Canada, so for North America. And Europe and Russia and the former Soviet Union area have its own issues, but we can add acreage at about three to 4% per year is South America. And with South America being such a big supplier of soybeans, you know, we don't have the big, you know, we don't have to rely on Ukraine for soybeans. So because it's really a South America US thing, you, when you start to look at your balance sheets, the tightness in the soybean market and the canola market, and quite honestly, the global oilseed market, it's solved faster. The only thing, but, and, you know, you can make a case, you know, in a year's time, you can go back to adequate to burn some, uh, you know, balance sheets and the market kind of knows that the only thing that I would say that's, you know, glaringly bullish on the soybean market side is the renewable fuels, particularly biodiesel and the amount of capacity that the United States and Canada is just ramping up for basically the you know green energy here. I mean, think in Canada, we're going to add, they want to add on 40% more of crushing capacity for the oil up there. And the United States, it's another 400 to 500 million bushels. I mean, those are just unbelievably bullish numbers for soybeans. So we can, and the market, and the market's going to have to fight with that back and forth. And I think that's why we've also seen soybeans not as volatile as wheat and corn, because there is an expansion that's going to happen in South American production. And then it's being countered by the energy demand where, you know, for renewable fuels, you know, back in, starting 2007, you know, through 2012, 13, it was all about ethanol and ramping up from basically not using a whole lot of corn for ethanol to 5 billion bushels. And we're entering this period now of where we're going to be using a lot more soybeans and canola for, and palm oil too, um, for energy. So, I'm bullish on soybeans going forward, but, you know, there is going to be more supply added and that's going to help counterbalance that. Fantastic, Craig. Well, before I let you go, I've been teasing this a, a little bit throughout the episode, but you put out a great newsletter. If folks want to sign up and subscribe to that, how can they find it? 
Yeah, sure. You can go to turnerstake.com and sign up there and also check out the podcast, Turner's Take Podcast. You can find out all about it there too. Fantastic, Craig. Thanks again for coming on today and chatting markets. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, Delaney, I appreciate you taking on that conversation today. As always, learning a lot from listening in on these Market Mondays, and I'm excited about some of the guests we have coming on this week to give their insight on the markets and how it's affecting their business. Absolutely. I'm glad you've got some good interviews lined up for us this week, folks. Uh, Make sure you stay tuned to hear some of those good conversations coming up or follow along with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Cassidy, with that, should we let people go? Let's let him go.